Welcome to Sarmat Radio, the podcast section of Sarmat Platform. This is our third episode and our guest today is Tribal Baroque, a duo made of Thoth and Lilangelique. Using countertenor and coloratura vocals, they create music accompanied by theater, dance, foot percussion and violence. They call what they do prayforming. 2002 Oscar winner Thoth countertenor and violinist, has been performing for over 30 years. Lilangelique, coloratura soprano and violinist, has been performing with Thoth for more than 12 years, first as mentee, then married in 2015. They have been performing all over the world, in tunnels, under bridges, and other public spaces with acoustics that suited them, as completely independent artists. Currently, they pray for them between 2 and 3 p.m. from Wednesday to Sunday on the north side of the tunnel beneath John F. Kennedy Drive across the Conservatory of Flowers in San Francisco, California. And what they do is magical. Perform or pray form in uh, in Amsterdam uh, somewhere in 2012, I believe, and yeah. um, and um, and I was really I was really blown away. And back then, I was really into photography, and I had my camera with me, so I took a lot of pictures of you, which are in my old heart somewhere. Um, so that's basically how I. Um, I got to know you, your practice basically, and I, and then I started following you on the blog that you had, and now on Instagram. The the reason why I'm really interested, I was really interested in talking to you, is obviously at one level is um, what you're creating, and um, you know the beautiful work that you're doing, and um, the fact that it's really touching. Um, but also at a different level, um, what really interests me and also Sarmat is the fact that, uh, you know, your practice is really non-normative, you know, like you, you, you are operating, um, completely independently and outside, like the, the, outside the, 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 the norms and, and the, you know, the confines of the, like the so-called established artwork, you know? 
Yes. Yes. Huh. Thank you right. for acknowledging yeah, that. Yeah, that's uh, that's an that's important actually for me that Very. that acknowledgement. Thank you so much. That is uh, a huge part of um, huge part of our uh, work and our devotion to it is that it, it is coming directly from the two of us. And if it doesn't come from the two of us, it doesn't exist. Yeah. Sometimes we fluctuate on that and we go, oh, that's really scary. And other times we feel very empowered by that. Yeah. These days we're feeling very empowered by it. Yes. So I was thinking maybe you could, you know, kind of like, I don't know, introduce yourself or say something about your practice, you know, uh, for the people who don't know anything. Um, I would say that um, I was born into a uh, mixed racial um, marriage in the United States when many um, states in this country um, deemed it illegal for my mother and father to be together. So my coming into being was in a sense illegal in certain places. <laughs> I, I shouldn't. I shouldn't be here because, according to law, my parents shouldn't be together. Thus, I shouldn't be existing. Um, and I saw that quite quickly. And I was. We were. I was born in New York, Manhattan General Hospital, and I saw it quite quickly because, um, being that I was. Uh, as a child being in the back of the car when my parents drove anywhere, um, I often could see the world react to them, even in New York, and cursed them out, um, yell, throw things. And being an ego-centered child, as all children are, I thought it was because of me that they were doing that, that I was some sort of aberration or horrible thing that they were cursing out. Didn't, I had no idea being that those laws, which are, are fake, um, had established this kind of um, situation in people's minds and their feelings. Um, and that, that created a great scar on my heart, on my notion of being it immediately brought into my feeling, I don't want to be here. Um, why am I here? Why am I in this horrible uh, reality where people are cursing, cursing me out? And, and um, so uh, in the epiphany of, uh, of eight, which for me is the epiphany age for all beings, that at that point, the ego the ego breaks away and it's no longer uh, all about me. It's all, it's like, Oh my God, there's a world. <laughs> and that, that effect usually causes people to be extremely creative. And my first, uh, my first um, joy at creativity was writing. So uh, I wrote a story about a coffee an anthropomorphic coffee bean that goes through an epic journey of, um, of birth and, and transformation, completely uh, um, intuitive. And my teacher hated it because it was not grammatically and, and it was incorrect. How old were you? Eight. Eight. Oh. Yeah, and she didn't like it. She, she said, this is wrong. Why are you doing and coffee beans that, that you didn't follow the instructions? This is an essay about coffee beans. Um, <laughs> So I wrote this, you know, and the, um, the in thinking, I don't have that story. I, but um, I remember this forever because it, it, the experience I had of, trend, of, of being an alternate reality while I wrote it and being so involved in what uh, Joseph Campbell talked about the hero's journey, which now is so commonplace, but at that time, nobody really even thought about a hero's journey. Um, the, uh, the people who would have thought about it were people who um, were um, marginalized in this society. 
so I didn't really have any mentors. So I developed an immensely self-hating behavior. I didn't, I, I didn't like anything about me. Um, and so uh, as I grew up, that kind of self-hatred could be very, very, um, it's very destructive. It's, it, it, it undermined my school, made me feel separate, made me feel, um, uh, and with all of those things having to do with that, in my early life, people were cursing me out. It made me very much distrustful of, of the people around, whether they're, they're uh, holding these kinds of feelings. Um, <clears throat> so um, we also uh, march with Mar Martin Luther King and um, that also was unpleasant <laughs> because- You, you mean your family? You yeah, my, my, my mother and father. My father uh, would go down to um, into the south, uh, and and as he's a doctor, and he would care for people who were beaten up by the police and help mm -hmm. in the in the struggles yeah. for civil rights. And his re, his uh, return was always brought about, um, you know, stories and. Uh, all of that stuff just doesn't make for <laughs> um, an immensely strong self-worth. Uh, yeah. Um, and I would say that that lasted for quite a, quite a while. And then I, um, this, it just broke in a way that I just had to um, try to kill myself when I was in, uh, when I was, coming into my Saturn return around 27, 28. Um, I wasn't doing well. I, I, and there was, as I said, there was nothing about me that I really liked. But at the same time, uh, I had a prolific imagination. Mm -hmm. And um, that after tr trying that attempt, I, I also had a, this uh, near-death experience kind of feeling of angels saying that it was not my time. I had much more to do and I'm, I, you, here you go back. <laughs> so I did. And um, um, within a very short time, I started writing about the Festot, a mythological world um, based on, uh, on, um, on gender, um, on a on a gender um, issue. <laughs> yes, because well, I I really find this fascinating. This 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 um, fictional world that you created, the Festard. Yeah, I would actually love it if you could, if you feel like it. You know, if you could tell me, like, you know, I I saw the documentary um, mm -hmm. about you online, which was made, I believe, in two thousand one. Mm hmm. Which won an Academy Award for Best Short Documentary, if I remember correctly. Um, um, so there, there were some, you know, I could pick up some, some fragments in that movie about um, the Festot, this completely imaginary uh, land with its own history, with its own language, um, with these kind of creatures humans or creatures or special humans or i don't know well, what to call them yeah I, I, they're who they are <laughs> they're yeah. the mirror they call them the mirror the mirror yeah so yeah please go on I, I i didn't want to interrupt you i just wanted to, <laughs> to show my excitement about this this uh, you know this this fictional world Thank it's been you. a long time since you talked about this. Yeah, it's been a, a long time. Um, so the, um, I had been studying a lot of opera before, um, a lot of opera. I was, uh, I had studied all Wagner's operas, um, Mozart's, Verdi, um, Bizet, uh, a few of the modern ones, but the modern ones tended to be too, uh, they weren't mythic anymore. They they started losing the mythic quality. They started to be um, re the um, real. 
<laughs> and so they, they lost my interest. But uh, Wagner really kept my interest. I, I didn't look into his uh, personal problems. I just knew that he had, he was very much in the mythic realm of, uh, of, of opera manifestation. So I, um, I, I at first tried to write the Festat as an epic poem like uh, Milton, mm. mm-hmm. um, but I didn't do well. Um, mm-hmm. Whenever I tried, I, I would show it to somebody and they would say, yuck, <laughs> basically. <laughs> um, so when, when, um, when this came forward in the way that it came forward, it, it started to come forward in a, in a musical way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I realized that, that, um, that these beings sang when they lived that there that's why it was so that their their method of communication was less uh, how we talk and more in, in singing to each other mm-hmm. and um that all moved towards um towards uh, uh a singing world um but the the main character the character that was myself um to um, showed up in my heart as a hermaphrodite or masculine feminine being and, um, and was thus oppressed in that society and thus mirrored my own impression, oppression in my life, yeah. which was also in so many of the complex ways that I am, um, was a perfect um, mirror yeah. for my struggles. Yeah. And I placed it in an epic um, format to show that um, in Pan Suga, who is the, uh, in, in the villain of the story, wanted to destroy all beings because he found out that he would not be uh, emperor of the Festad uh, because of a, uh, of a hermaphrodite that was being born and started killing all the hermaphrodite, any hermaphrodite being mm-hmm. that showed up. And um, so this, this story um, felt so perfectly a mirror of my own struggles as a being, um, completely connected with the laws that this country had of destroying um, mixed marriages, um, as well as any other gender things. It, it, all this is in the same realm. And so uh, I would say um, I started... Um, I started growing dreadlocks, which caused me to be thrown out of uh, restaurants. I couldn't work at restaurants anymore. And because I couldn't work at restaurants, it forced me into a position where I had to find a way of living. Mm-hmm. And um, I, uh, I took some really strange, odd jobs that were very dangerous. And all, I saw a young man performing in BART and playing uh violin he, he had just won a suit against the san francisco um, bart um and could play so he was playing these little um vivaldi and things and i said i can do this this is a good way for me to and i immediately learned a bach concerto and went out and started playing it and immediately got the feedback i needed to say i'm going to do this and i quit all my jobs and i started doing that and within a year of doing that and letting go of, of society's um, jobs, my dress started changing. Um, and I started seeing that, that this, w- this was a way of, um, of, um, of transmitting this mythological world is to start um, um, uh, writing the music and playing it for people as I'm starting to do it. And um, um, that all, and then I, I had a band and um, I finally was able in having this band uh, to start singing. And when I started singing, everything started to congeal and started to show me that here I had found my, um, my transmit, transmission method. Um, I am so all over the place with this story. There are so many things I'm looking at, but I'm trying my best to keep, yes, yes. 
No, um, it's, it's amazing. I'm, I'm, um, I'll follow I'm, I'm listening it, here. It really, it's all about me trying to find a way to live and to survive yeah. all of the uh, um, meanness. Yeah. Um, it was all necessary. It was all necessary. I, I look back and um, I was protected in so many ways, even though I was, I was suffering from uh, hatred in every sort of hatred. Um, and because uh, I, ha I, I was able to express that and thus, it, and that the expression of that then of course led to this uh, Academy Award, which, which in a certain way was another expression of the oppression. <laughs> Because mm -hmm. when I went to the Academy Award, then it continued <laughs> mm -hmm. on the red carpet like three times of uh, attempt to throw me out of the, the uh, ceremony. Three times they tried to try to throw, throw out, me out. Throw you out. Yeah. yeah, they and uh, I I've often well I started writing a little essay on it because it it's so epic too. These the three times being um, turned away from the from a gate, of, from the uh, from the um, celestial sphere, let's say, um, turned away and um, rejected, and yet that was that I was going to get the full honor that they were going to bestow, and yet the guards <laughs> didn't they saw me as something that I that shouldn't go in. An aberration. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that that questions would help me. Um, Pull the story together because it's I don't know how to really um, crystallize it at, uh, uh, because it's so my life and thus I uh, there are certain things that right now are very vibrant in telling it but there are certain um, subtexts that are extremely important also um, yeah. that help me in surviving and for me that's basically what I want to be for others as a model of surviving oppression. Mm -hmm. I want to say that what, from listening to the story again, because I've heard the story so many times, but mm -hmm. hearing it again in this way, it shows me that it is a life that could have destroyed anyone. It's a, a, just being so oppressed and feeling so that something is deeply wrong with you from early childhood um, that for him to have then turned it around into a creative expression yeah. is really the amazing feat of what he's done and that everything has been a necessary part of keeping him doing, you know, turning all of that oppression and suppression into an expression oppression into expression so yeah that's what is so special about him and his story i think from listening to it yeah yeah i think you know it's like um like when you um you know when someone sees you thought or you know somebody like you um you know one might think that, you know, okay, so this person is so much himself or herself, and you kind of assume with yourself that they've always been like that, mm -hmm. you know? But it's always, but it's, I, I think it's almost never like that. It's, it's never from the beginning like that. You always, when you grow up in your family, you go through the education system, you try to find a job, um, you first you you try really hard to to fit mm. yeah fit in this frame you know um you try really hard and i think it really starts with the family um and you get rejected uh, you go through the education system you constantly get rejected the, the job market the same story so it's yeah. either you are being rejected or you are rejecting them or like things that, you know, you can possibly do, but you're like, you know, I, I just can't do this. You know, if I do this, I'm going to die in a year. You know, I'm going to kill myself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like, 
you know, it takes like years of, as you say, oppression and being rejected and like actively rejecting things that really hurt you that get you to the point where you're like, you know, it's like you, you like all the other, all, all the other doors are closed, you know, there's only one door open, you know, yeah. and you're yeah. like, okay, I have to go through this, you know, yeah. or you die. Um, or you die. Exactly. Yeah, most people are just not brave enough to, the average person is just not brave enough to go through all the struggle and all of the feelings of continuous rejection. Because when you go off on your own path, as he has, it's not something where the whole world then goes and embraces what you're doing. People will continuously push at you and say, well, you're not good enough. You know, you're only a street performer. They'll label you, they'll minimize you, they'll under value you and you have to kind of get used to that so um yeah it's always a a very painful path Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. leads to somewhere where you're like it doesn't mean that the pain stops at that point like when you find that way or when you when you go through that door it doesn't mean that the pain stops but it's like you know at least um you're kind of doing what 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 you're supposed to do, you know. Like if if I can it say it. It does feel that way. I'm sorry. It does feel that way that I'm doing exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm yes. The lineage of my voice, as oppressed as that was too. Mm-hmm. Um, that was oppressed. This is another tale of me. <laughs> um, <laughs> that was oppressed by my. Um, my horror at my grandmother mm. and my oh, wow. grandmother was uh, um, a um, a bully towards my grandfather right and she she could bully him because she had this huge voice she could mm. she could use it and and cow him just because she could just fill the house full of the sound that she could make and yeah. just do this chore do this back in the floor what are you doing and and, and and he was such a sweet man. Mm. Um, so in a, in a certain sense, I feel like um, it was my grandmother's voice that made me horrified at, because I knew very quickly I had the, a voice. I mean, yeah. When I was a kid, I, uh, when I would get upset and I would use it and, and scream and I, I recognized it and it was scary and it caused me to um, pull back from it took me a long time to pull to go through that and realize that the voice could be turned into a that could be well no I sang secretly mm-hmm. because I was so inspired by music I sang always and in closets and away from people because I didn't want to um, share a show uh, how I sang and um, I also have an unusual voice so that in itself <laughs> made problems um, I remember that in when I was at the university and uh, I had to do sight singing. Um, it was very uh, difficult and scary. I remember staying up all night because I had to sing for my teacher. Mm. And I, I had, had to reveal that I, um, my voice to, in order to pass the uh, course. I had, I, was, uh, I had gotten through without showing it yet, but this was a private interview and I had to sing a, a few um bars of, and measures of things to show I had learned how to sight sing and so I really stuck up I got my courage and I just sang the way I want and needed to sing in order to make it through this and mm. my teacher did not um yell and scream and and, <laughs> and be sad and curse me out but uh he said you know you may be a countertenor wow. and and I was like oh my god somebody didn't give me a hard time and they just named me and told and told me something about myself that I had not yet ever knew known did you not know this I did not know anything about it I was just thinking that I was being strange how old were you uh I was in the 20s 20s you didn't know this word I didn't know the word I didn't Mm. know anything about it Mm. he um his and, it, and his his openness to the fact that I that I was uh, I could be this, and so then I looked this up and 
and, uh, and it was still a long, a long road after that, but still that was the first time that in singing somebody had really fully um, shown appreciation for me rather than... Um, so that's the first time that you sang or like in front? That was, that was the first time that I truly sang in a conscious, uh, in front of person, another person way. Because I was, I was playing the violin since I was uh, um, very young and I, uh, I already found that I could improvise like none of my other peers. That was another thing that was really kind of interesting. And, and my other, my friends um, in school or my friends outside of school were, were, were intrigued by the fact that I could do that. Mm-hmm. And I went to school with a young man who died very young. Um, and he was a wonderful improviser in the violin. Um, he was our associate concertmaster in, the symphon- in our uh, school orchestra. And uh, he became quite famous as a jazz violinist. Mm-hmm. But then he died, just, just uh, shocking to everybody. But it was in, in, through him and through watching him that I really gained the courage to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was and he's such a, he was very special. And I think of him very, uh, with a, I think of him as one of my young um, uh, influences. I can name him, but I don't know. I, I, he's, he's so uh, uh, fringe in a certain way. No few people know him except who followed jazz violinists in the, uh, what would it, that be, the 70s? Wow. Well, <laughs> Was it? I, I guess so. I will name it Noel Pointer because I, I think that he deserves to have his name spoken of again in, in, in honor. Um,
Mm. And so you 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 started pray pray forming, mm -hmm. and that kind of saved your life. Or let me say that um, not kind of. <laughs> let us say that 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 it was preformance is a word that that came much later after uh, when when things started to um, come forward and I realized that mm -hmm. I, I was working towards sacredness mm -hmm. towards um, towards a more sacred method of uh, transmission rather than. I'm just uh, playing a nice jingle that everybody's going to be entertained by, or I'm, mm -hmm. I'm look at what I can do with my voice. It was more, it's more look what I can do and how um, with the honor that I treat it. And so thus it, the, the word um, prayer formance, which everybody was using was, uh, or everybody in the sacred realm of, um, of uh, uh, transmission of uh, dance music started using. And um, I was doing this in the angel tunnel and I was starting to use this term and a Hungarian man be, was loving me. And he said, you know, that word is, there's an ER in there that I don't understand why is the ER there? And we'd, it would be much more concise to say preformance. Mm -hmm. And at first I was like, what did I, I don't know what is that? And, and, and as I mm -hmm. sat with it, the word mm -hmm. was wondrous for me. And I said, yes. And, um, and that, then that's when I started calling it that. And that happened in the angel tunnel, mm -hmm. full uh, step, full um, opening to that and the sacred in what I was doing. Um, and this was in the, in the, in the nineties or? No. That was, no, that, that, that particular ha thing happened right before uh, Sarah started um, filming me. Oh, okay. Um, so let us say, uh, because I got to the tunnel, I got, I started um, being fully invested in the tunnel uh, in, right before the millennium or mm -hmm. right around that time. Mm -hmm. And uh, I met, Sarah came and found me in the tunnel in the winter of 2000, um, let me see. 2000? Yeah, 2000. 2000. And then, then for the, in 2001, we, um, we were, um, we were uh, filming. Yeah. And then, um, then it was released around October 2001 um, and disappeared underneath the um, underneath what happened in, in, in the world at that time. And oh, yeah. um, so nobody even knew it happened. It came out. And so mm -hmm. in a certain sense, I was like this hidden, hidden um, healing. Mm -hmm. that, that was happening as the world was exploding in re regards to all the hatred that was happening with all the people. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because the, um, I do experience it as such. I was, I mm -hmm. am the mixed race, the mixed uh, everything being mm -hmm. coming into uh, coming fully into my own at a time uh, or being seen at a time that, um, that everybody is feeling dissociated from each other and hating each other. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting to be, to have that. That's my mythic understanding, mm -hmm. which, uh, which is my understanding because that's my perspective. Mm -hmm. um, and then in 2002, the Academy Award happened. And mm -hmm. that's when the, that's when it fully came forward. Mm -hmm. And how was the experience of the Academy Award like afterwards? Because like it, it kind of, I mean, I have no idea, but like it uh, to me, it sounds like, you know, you were kind of working um, um, you were not under the spotlight, you know, you were basically working in anonymity and then you have yeah. this rush of uh, kind of 
you know, like everybody, like a lot of people, when you perform, uh, a lot mm -hmm. of people recognize you and they're like, you know, it's the, the, the same guy in the, in the Oscars and this and that. Um, but I guess it slowly, slowly fades out, no? Um, the, the, like the attention and, and the, um, you know, all the, that rush of, I don't know if you could call it fame or, yeah, I can, I guess. Yeah, let's call it fame right now. Yeah. But was it, was it like afterwards, was it, was it, um, did you like thinking, looking back at that Academy Award thing? Uh, how was it afterwards? Um, I can sum it up by uh, when I went back to the tunnel and, and was performing. One of the first days I came back, somebody came and said and said to me, "I thought you would never come back. I thought Holly, you would be in Hollywood and mm -hmm. in a major picture." And mm -hmm. so that's what happened. And um, it's. Uh, as as I appreciate what it was, I appreciate it from the truth of what it is, because it's more of an epic thing. It's uh, the fame thing is is all about popularity, and whereas the epic mythic part is um, is that at that time and for the rest of this life till I um, transition. And it will, it is, and, and after there is a record of a being who, whose name uh, is Thoth, who, uh, who rose out of oppression, um, there is this um, imprint that anybody can then go back and, and find the path of uh, how this being was able to uh, Go, go to an Academy Award and, and fully um, you, be um, recognized yeah. through that. Mm -hmm. uh, in, terms of, um, in terms of people using me in their projects, mm -hmm. uh, I actually, I remember very <laughs> funny that uh, Ron, Howard, uh, Ron Howard said, this was caught on some kind of, Ron Howard said, I, yeah, I'm gonna use him on, in my next film. <laughs> <laughs> and Ron Howard didn't. <laughs> so it was either a joke or it was just, but he, it, it was, it's very funny because, uh, because that's kind of what people thought would happen. Yeah. Well, this is the thing that I think is the biggest, the biggest thing about that happening to him is that happened, but then he continued doing what he was already doing. Nothing yeah. changed yeah. in his life. And um, uh, it's good in the end because we wouldn't have ever met each other if anything, if he'd been lifted up into any larger thing, I wouldn't have been able to reach him. It was the fact that he was there in the tunnel mm -hmm. still. Yeah. So that, that for me personally is the most amazing part of it is he had that experience, but then he went on and continued um, to do his work regardless of being lifted up into some thing. Yeah. He just went on and kept going. Yeah. And, and it's, and it's a very, it's a very exceptional thing in the, um, in the world that we are living in. Mm -hmm. And I think it kind of goes back to, you know, what we talked about in the beginning, like you, like the fact that like, this is like, this is what you're supposed to do. You know, this is what, what you should be doing you know so you're not gonna you're not gonna stop because you're recognized or because you're very popular or because people know you or whatever like it's like uh, this is what i do this is my this is what this is my kind of this is my way of being in the world you know mm, what i really like about what you do is that it's not just, you know, what I said in the beginning, that it's like, like what you do is a non-normative practice, artistic practice in terms of artistic practices, you know. Um, uh, but it's, it's, I think it's much more fundamental than that. It's like a non-normative way of being in the world, you know. Mm -hmm. you're, you're, this is like your way of, your way of, living your way of being in the world i don't i don't mean like in terms of making a living or whatever you know just being yeah it's yeah. a lifestyle what i say is 
um, it's not a career. It's a yeah. lifestyle. Mm-hmm. It's not a, we're not building up a career to be like, look at what we've done. We don't have a resume. We're not going to make a resume. Yeah. Um, we don't have anything to prove to anyone that we're worthwhile. It's, we live a lifestyle that, and he created a lifestyle that um, it's just dedicated to being, being ourselves basically. Being real. Yeah. Yeah. In a mythic way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And keeping going, just keeping at it, no matter what happens. That's something he really taught me just through example, seeing that mm. you just swing. It doesn't matter what happens, what comes if you get famous or more money comes or less money or where you are, or what you're doing, or you just go out and keep doing the work. That's the only thing that's important. And, um, and, um, and it's a struggle, you know? Yeah. Um, if anyone ever recognizes it, that's, that would be nice, but it's not necessary for the work to continue. We found no. a way to do the work without needing to be recognized. Yeah. Um, you're recognizing us. You're recognizing us, and that's, that's nice. nice. I, I really, I admire you guys, really. Thank you. I Thank really you. Um, it took me a long time to get out of that space of wanting to, and it comes back occasionally. And I'm not healed of it completely, but the ego will come up and say, oh, but we don't have a career. Oh, yeah. but we don't, but we sing in a tunnel. Is that all that is ever going to happen? I have so many dreams for what I know we're capable of. But no one knows us. So it's, I've just come into a space of accepting that this is the way our life is. And I'm really grateful that we found a way to sustain ourselves. So. Um, I, I also wanted to ask you about when you met and, you know, how it happened and uh, how you started this together, because, you know, to me, it sounds like maybe it's like kind of a, um, a cheesy metaphor. I don't know. But it's like, to me, it sounds like thought. Um, like kind of built an island um, Mm -hmm. out of, um, I mean, as a result of years of oppression, um, Mm -hmm. like he kind of turned back and he like built this island. Um, And he started doing all kinds of um, amazing stuff on this island and, you know, grow all kinds of stuff, plant all kinds of stuff there. Like he built the best daughter. Yeah. He built his own. He did build kind of his own world. <laughs> yeah, and and it's not, and then it's like you know you found the island. Like you went, you 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 know. I was swimming in very un, unstable, very dark, deep waters for a long time. Yeah, that's basically what happened. I was swimming out alone in the yeah in the dark abyss of the world, very alone and um. Yeah, her shark. I was. I had some very sharky friends biting at my ankles all the time and mm. making my life raft and and all that. I, yeah, I was. I was very similarly oppressed, yeah. similarly alone, um, but very privileged. I had. I grew up with two uh, musical parents, and I had a recording studio in my house growing up. So we'd have mm-hmm. symphonies, you know, orchestras come into the living room and mm-hmm. play us happy birthday. Me and I'm a twin. I have a twin sister. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was immensely picked on by my entire family, just considered the black sheep of the family. Everything mm-hmm. was blamed on me. And yeah, it's just a very, I was always a very odd little duckling. Um, I'd always be sitting at, family gatherings and drawing obsessively and everybody thought there was something wrong with me Mm. i'd wear the strangest costumes i'd I'd wear you know tutus and tuxedos and stuff to school i wanted to be in cirque du soleil growing up Mm. both of us auditioned for cirque du soleil at different times and weren't accepted Mm. um yes i was very dreamy i loved opera and i'd bring I'd bring my little opera um, scores to school and sit there and read them while I was supposed to be doing math homework. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I was just not, I was never part of the world. 
whenever I could get away from the world, I'd go in my room and listen to music and practice singing and violin. And I trained all for all of that long before I met Thoth. So I already knew how to play violin and sing before I met him, but had never put those things together. Mm. Um, so when, when I met him, I was, I moved to New York because I was born in New York, but then I moved to Nashville yeah. when I was five and was very miserable. And when I moved back, I was going to theater school Mm -hmm. thinking that that would be the thing that would make me feel very accepted and loved and what you're talking about the island thing I felt also very isolated Mm -hmm. and alone and I didn't find my people at school they were all very cliquish and cookie cutter Mm -hmm. Um, all looked the same they had same similar names and I was very threatening they would always single me out and uh, make me feel unacceptable and so I'd go to the park just looking for solace and comfort. And I remembered this angel on top of a fountain from when I was little that I loved. And so I went looking for that and I found it and I would see this man. I didn't immediately see him play, but I would see this guy sitting on the steps of the tunnel, wandering around the space, looking very unusual. Mm-hmm. And I remembered him very clearly from America's Got Talent because I'd seen that in a split second. Ah. Negative opinion of him initially because my ego was on, you know, just off out the roof when I was young. Yeah. So I was like, when I saw him in the tunnel, I definitely thought that, you know, you think you're so good. I could definitely, you know, use this tunnel better than you. That was (laughs) when I was 20. So, mm. so it was not this like love at first sight kind of thing. But okay. then when we, when I was wandering back through the tunnel to go home, one day I saw him standing on the box that he would stand on to use to do rhythms with his feet. And he had his whole thing on. Uh, his, you know, the, the feather in his hair, the gold lame loincloth the violin the the spirit catcher and I was just just stood there couldn't move Mm. because he was so physically beautiful and I was Mm. in so striking and unusual and clearly not young so I was just okay Mm. there's this older man standing in this tunnel what the hell he's obviously going to play music so I just stood there and I couldn't didn't know what to do and he opened his mouth and the most beautiful countertenor voice came out as I'd never heard. And previous to meeting him, I'd had many dreams of singing with a countertenor. Oh. So, and that was not my immediate thought. I'm not going, oh, we're, we're destined to be together and I'm going to sing with him forever. It was, mm-hmm. I was just so amazed by this being that was so potently himself and yeah. clearly an older person. Yeah. Still doing, you know, this thing of still doing the work. How yeah. the hell was like? How the hell is he doing this? This must be really hard. Um, and I knew immediately what he was doing. I didn't need. I didn't have any questions to ask him. He was expressing himself creatively in his own way. And I just ran up to him afterwards, and I said, you know, very excitedly, because I was energetically just crazy back then. I was just I was a a natural performer who didn't wasn't really performing so I just didn't know what to do with my energy and I ran up to him afterwards and he was kneeling on his little pad and I said my god you're a countertenor your voice is so beautiful Ah," you know and he looked up at me just like this beautiful art monk that he is and said in the most beautiful voice that I'd ever heard you're very intelligent because usually people don't use this word. They usually say falsetto, which is not mm-hmm. what he is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so immediately I was living with, I was living in a nunnery, like living with Catholic nuns on Times Square. And he was living with a partner and a little puppy out in Queens in a place that his mother had gotten for them. So mm. I just couldn't stay away from him. I just went there every day 
And I would be brokenhearted knowing that he was out there when I was at school. And so eventually, of course, I dropped out. Of, I just stopped going to school. And he found out and he tried to get me to go back. And I said, oh, yeah. and of course, everybody said, oh, I don't want to work with you because we all thought that you dropped out and we hate you. Mm. Um, they called me the pink elephant. Like I, they had this school meeting, not school meeting, but my group meeting and everybody pointed me out and said, we have to talk about the pink elephant in the room. Seriously? Yeah. Like very. You had, you had the same hairstyle back then? No, like, I had, no. no, it was kind of similar, but I was always wearing pink wigs to school. Oh, I was okay. dressing like a clown. Yeah. Literally uh -huh. like a clown. Yeah. So they didn't like how much I was myself. They just said, it's just difficult for us. It's confusing. We don't know. You just, it's just too hard for us. And I cried, and that was when I knew Pop. And I ran to him, and I said, "Oh, they're calling me the pink elephant." And he turned to me again, and he said, "You're not an elephant. You're an angel." Wow. So I had the name Pink Angel for a while. He was immediately so protective of me, just immediately, just was right there for me. He didn't even know me initially, and I, I would go to the tunnel and all dress. I told him I was going to go dressed up the next time. And he seemed to kind of roll his eyes and go, yeah, whatever. Because <laughs> so, as I've experienced, so many people say that they go, yeah, yeah. I'm going to come with you. And yeah, they never yeah. do. And I did. And I, I think I like threw myself on the ground and was writhing all over the ground just to see what he would do. And mm. he came and he sang over me. And so it was just so accepting. It was the first person who fucking accepted me exactly as I was. Didn't oppress me, didn't try to change me. He didn't resist what I was doing. He didn't tell me to stop. He just said, don't get in my way, which initially was kind of hurtful. But now I understand it because I'll say that to other people. I said, you can do whatever you want. Just don't get in my way. You know. Mm. Uh, so, yeah. And so... I brought my violin back from Nashville and I told my parents, mom, dad, I found this guy in a tunnel. <laughs> I was so happy. <laughs> my mom was similarly kind of difficult towards him saying, don't, you know, don't let him sell you into white slavery. It was very, there's a lot of racism around our families, mm -hmm. which I think is very healed by us being together. Honestly. Mm. Um, and yeah, and so about within four months of us meeting, we, we just went out and started playing together in the cold. Uh, he had. When was that? What? When was that? At the Angel Tunnel in Central Park. Not like when? Uh, 2009. 2009. 2009. 2009. Yeah, 2009. Yeah, we met October 11th, 2008. And I had this journal and I had him write his name all over. I knew that the day I met him, it had changed my life. I didn't know what it meant, but I mm. knew that my life was changed. I didn't know that was my future husband, that I would be living with him for 12 years and be so in love. I didn't know that, but... Um, Si 